and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Kestra Private Wealth Services Out Loud. I am joined today by the co-founder of Bespoke Investment Group, Paul Hickey. Paul, welcome. Good to be here, Rob. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you here. Um, you're here joining us at our symposium during the Ascend event, and um, we're really happy to have you as part of the program. Yeah, it could be a little warmer, but... <laughs> yeah, what is it, like 28 <laughs> degrees out there today? It, yeah. it went from 78 to 28 yeah, in, big in drop. 24 hours. So, Paul, let's just jump in here. You and your partners at Bespoke founded and run what I think is one of the most prolific um, investment research shops on the street. Tell us the story of how you guys came together and 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 built Bespoke. Where, where does it all begin? Yeah, so sure. Um, thanks for the compliment. Uh, myself and Justin Walters uh, started the firm in 2007, and we met uh, working for Laszlo Barini uh, in the years before that. So we were running and very instrumental in, in the U.S. domestic equity uh, product at uh, Barini Associates. And we were had a lot of new ideas there. And then we started at one point, and this was in the early days of financial blogging when, when blogs became popular. Right. And we started a blog there uh, called Ticker Sense. And that we, we, we got a presence among the financial blogger community, so to speak. And then over the years, Justin and I had a very entrepreneurial spirit, and we were the type of people who we either wanted to succeed or fail on our own merits and not on you know working for uh, someone else and relying on someone else. So right. uh, we eventually decided to leave uh, Barini Associates and start our own firm. And what we did by start having that presence in the blogging community, we were able to start on day one with zero clients and and get the word out and then it also helped that we had had some um experience on in financial media so i I remember the first day we decided to well backtracking when we when we left we left in mid-april we set up a website in the matter of two weeks uh got everything up and running and launched on may 1st and then on may 1st i sent an email to one of the Erin um, Burnett, her name was yeah. on, on CNBC, yeah. now on CNN. Now on CNN, right? And I just thanked her for having me on over the the years, and um, you know, with my new contact info, and she was great. She responded back, "Oh, that's congratulations. Let's celebrate. Why don't you come on today?" So oh, it was great. Nice. So on the first day of, in business <laughs> on CNBC, getting mentioned that we had this new firm, and so it was really it, it was. We, there's a little bit of luck involved in, in having the right contacts and having yeah. things play out the way they did. But I think it's all a matter of the, the hard work. And, and we've, we've always been intensely interested in the markets. And then over the years, we've brought in other people um, who have been really helpful as well and, and really share that same passion for the financial markets and how they work and how they tick and trying to you know, get under every nook and cranny, so to speak, yeah. and, and figure things out. That's that's a great story, and I mean, I'd love to go on a tangent and talk about Laszlo and you know the, his hundred pound brain. He's a name that is very familiar to people right. on Wall Street. We learned so much there, I'm and, sure. and it just and what we learned from him is just to looking at things in you know trying to take a unique aspect and and, and don't follow the herd. What the herd has been, uh, you know, what the herd's looking at, and try and say, all right, well, what makes them so smart? Why is that right? And then come around and and try and get to that conclusion from a different angle. Um, and if you can arrive that way, you know through a different path, then maybe that path is the right way. But if everyone's just on the same path, um, you know, chances are you're wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And we've talked about luck on this podcast before too, like luck in business. And you know, the, the consensus is, seems to always come back to, yeah, we all need a little bit of luck, but 
it's amazing how hard work can create luck. Right, right. And, right. and you guys, I mean, the, the output that you, you and your partners create um, for advisors and for people who subscribe to your research is indicative of the kind of work ethic that you guys have. So I'm always impressed by that. So, so if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about um, Bespoke today, like the staff. Do you have output goals? Do you track the number of reports you issue in a week and, and things of that nature? Like how do you guys kind of run the business? So, I mean, we, we have our set reports that we put out uh, throughout the day, and there's certain reports that, you know, we have a morning lineup report, which comes out every morning, right before, about an hour before the open, gives advisors and, and investors a view on, on how things are, have panned out overnight, what's important to know going forward for the rest of the day. And it's about a five to 10 minute uh, investment of your time. And you, with that, you'll have a good understanding of where the markets stand heading into the trading day. So we have our set reports and then we have a closer report at the end of the day, which is, you know, recaps the day. Uh, Throughout the day though, it's just a matter of, um, you know, there's certain things, certain longer term trends that we'll address uh, in our reports, but then as things change um, and and events change, uh, we'll, we'll act accordingly. Back in early January, when we had the drone strike on the Iranian general, one of the things we looked at was looking back historically at you know similar type missile events in in the Middle East and what their impact on was on the oil market was and the financial markets. Just this week, uh, you know, in the last two weeks, we're looking at uh, you know viruses <laughs> right. and, and uh, so we're always when things come up, you know, we we like to call ourselves the Elias Sports of um, of this, the financial markets. And for those who aren't aware of Elias Sports, it's when you're watching a baseball game or a football game and they say, well, this um, this this third baseman is, you know, makes errors, meant this many errors on turf, but this many errors on natural surfaces. So we, we try and have those statistics and, and more, and we try and have them ready. So when an event does come up, we can produce, uh, you know, some some content on it and give people the you know the the data to back up um, what our views are and, and why we think the market's going to be doing a certain thing. And you guys don't um, typically come with a real solid sort of call, right? I mean, it, you what you do is sort of lay out the landscape and let the reader sort of draw their conclusions from that. This is yeah. typically what I see. So uh, some of the, one of the negative um, feedback, not necessarily negative, the feedback we get sometimes from some people is, I'm looking to, I want you to tell me which stocks to be buying or what to be doing. But well, some, some people just want it on a silver yeah. platter, right? Like, don't make me, don't make me think, just tell <laughs> right. me what you think. Right. right. And I mean, that, that we're all right with that criticism because when we're giving our, we, we are rather than be necessarily opinionated, we want to present the data and let the data do the talking. Right. And then, I mean, we will have a view. I mean, everyone has to have a view on, on something, but we're not going to let, say, our, you know, our political views or our just, you know, our overall views on another subject impact our market-based uh, calls. We're letting the, the data do the talking. And I, I think in, in that respect, if people don't agree with it, they don't have to agree with it, but this is, this is the facts right. that, we're look, that we're showing. And if they have a problem with it, they have a problem with it. And then there may be, they may have good reason why they think we're wrong. And that's fine. Um, you're, you're, you're creating like an objective um, space with the data. Yeah. Right? And then letting the reader make their own conclusions based on what they see. Right. Give people a blueprint of yeah. what to expect, a you know baseline, and then people can go accordingly. I, I think that that's super unique in this space and, and frankly, you know, very well um, regard, well, well needed. And, and I regard it very highly. Well, thanks. So is, 
is just real quickly though, is that a byproduct of Brainy in your time there, or did you guys? Is that part of the reason that you left? Because I'm I don't know what you know his typical style would be. Yeah. So I mean, I I remember when I first started working there. Um, Mentioning his mentioning a specific stock, like recommending a stock, and then he was asked my views on it, why I was saying it, and I had a pretty lame answer. Yeah. And then you know, so I and and it didn't go go then over too crucified. well. Yeah. So yeah. you know, you, you you know, he wanted to see facts and a well reasoned explanation behind it. And I mean, and I think you know, his his philosophy was very much similar to ours that, you know, let the data do the talking and let investors or advisors or whoever's consuming the date, the information come up with their own conclusions. Got it. So let me, let me step back kind of two more steps, maybe Yeah, sure. Um, in your backstory. So when did you start knowing or seeing a path for yourself in this business? And like, were you that guy in high school that picked up the wall street journal or or was online researching stocks or what have you, or, or is this something that you came to later and maybe from an alternate path? Well, no, I'd say it started really early. So um, my father was a financial advisor. My uh, old, I'm the youngest of seven uh, kids and all my older siblings had an interest in the stock market. Got it. At holiday dinners, uh, we were talking about, at Christmas dinner, we would be talking about where we thought the S&P was gonna be closing or the Dow would close the next year. And okay, so you grew up, you grew up in the bubble. Basically. Yeah, and I, yeah. and I saw a, I, I did a class trip to the New York Stock Exchange when I was in second grade and it, I thought it was the coolest thing yeah. I had ever seen. Well, who doesn't? Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> so, it's pretty amazing. But, um, and then just getting back to, to steps two, you know, we were talking before, it takes a lot of luck and it takes, you know, a, a lot of hard work. It also takes support. I remember when the day Justin and I decided that we were going to be leaving uh, Barini, I came home um, to tell my wife and I'm like, I have some news for you, honey. And she's like, Oh, I have some news too. And, and I go, well, you go first. And she's like, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> yeah. And so we don't, we'd had a two year old at the time. And then, um, and so I was like, Oh, okay. And she's like, what's your news? I'd like, I forget, you forget it. it. Yeah, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> but so, um, eventually she got it out of me and, um, I told her and she said, you are doing that. I like, you will regret it for the rest oh, of your that's life. Great. So, so we'll, she we'll figure it out. Yeah. That's so, super. Well, so that's, you know, that's a, a big plays a big role. That's the kind of person you want in your corner. Yeah, right? definitely. So, um, I started at DLJ and Dick Jenrette was still a, a fixture at the firm then in the late nineties. And, um, we, we heard, we were kind of in, um, indoctrinated into the lore of DLJ and how they started as a research shop and then evolved into an investment banking operation. And it seemed to me that all three of those guys knew exactly how they wanted their firm to be, even when it was just the three of them, from a philosophical standpoint and sort of like what they wanted to stand for and represent. And I wonder, do you guys have, you and Justin and the team, do you have that sort of same you know, ethos where you're like, I know, I, I may not know on a day-to-day basis how this is going to play, but I know what Spoke is going to stand for philosophically and otherwise. And we're, we're really clear on that. Do you guys talk about that or is it just something that's yeah, just expressed? No, I mean, I think it's, it's well understood in our organization um, that, you know, first of all, our research, you know, fact-based data-driven analysis, uh, that's what we look at. Uh, 
easily digestible. We don't want, I mean, our view is that if, if you can't explain it, it's probably not worth explaining. Uh, so, I mean, point. so we try to present things in an easy to understand, digestible manner. People don't have a whole, whole lot of time for, you know, to, to read a 40 page report. You right. know? So if we can uh, distill it down to the main key points, if people want to see additional information, they can see it, but we like to let people, uh, we don't want to waste too much of their time and the third is that, you know, being independent, we're conflict free. We don't have any, you know, ulterior motives in any positions or any ideas we, we do suggest. Uh, you know, when I was coming out of college in the late 1990s, there were some of these research scandals. Um, I worked at um, Solomon Smith Barney during the whole Jack Grubman AT&T scandal. Where, MCI and all that. Where, where, well, he, oh, that was, was he, he was a bear on AT&T. And then he eventually upgraded the stock and it came out two years later that, you know, potentially he upgraded the stock so he could get his kids into a nursery school. So, um, I forgot so, about Grubman. I so, forgot about that. So, I mean, you know, it, it's just that, I mean, in, on the sell side, there's, there tends, there can often be a lot of conflict. Um, not, I, not all of them are conflicted, but there can be conflict there. And so we would just like to, when we recommend a position, there's no one, you know, whispering in our ear to say, you know, please recommend this. I want to get to that in a minute, but before we do, um, tell us how the machine works. And I just, I'm being really blunt, small team, mm-hmm. tons of reports, right. Rich with data mm-hmm. and pros. So how do you guys, how do you have the time to put out all that data well, or all that research? Well, it takes a lot of time. So, yeah. you know, we're usually starting, you know, you know, turning things on, so to speak, at, you know, 6 a.m. Um, New York time. Uh, then we're putting together our morning report, which usually goes out at, at about 8.30. So that report takes up the early part of the morning. I get that on the West Coast. So it's really great. I wake up to that. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great, I mean, you can read that like we were saying before, five, 10 minutes. Yep, and you, absolutely. you're well prepared. And then, you know, we have other reports that we're, you know, maintaining databases and such. Uh, but then, you know, we're constantly going back and forth, all of us. Well, first of all, we all have a passion for it, as I was saying. So it's all things we're looking to, you know, this is what we, you know, I always say to people, if I wasn't, if this wasn't my job or if I was retired, I'd still be doing it, right, you know, so right. <laughs> um, we may not have too exciting a life, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and then we're constantly going back and forth, um, you know, with ideas. And if one of us has an idea, but is in the middle of working on something else, whoever has a free moment, you know, will dive into that. And, you know, so we're constantly coming up with ideas and bouncing things off of each other. You know, we all recognize that the whole, in order for the, firm to succeed, you know, we're all going to succeed. Got and, it. Um, it. It helps out that way. So let's go back to that buy side, sell side thing, because I, I did want to talk a little bit about that. And I'm, I'm really, at this stage of the game, I've been away from, you know, real Wall Street for, literal Wall Street for a very long time. But is it still, you know, buy side versus sell side? Is that, are the, are the cool guys, the cool kids still on the <laughs> buy side? Is there there's still like that hierarchy? What What is the state of, research in general these days? I mean, I, I think it's changed a lot. I mean, as technology has changed so much uh, these days. And uh, just how you see, it, I, mean, I think the financial crisis changed a lot of it too and, and exacerbated things. Just how on the advisor side, you've seen more people going independent because there's less of a cachet behind the big wirehouse firms. Right. Um, and on the research side too, people have realized that if you are a really good analyst and you know you have good insights and people want to see those insights, you can do It'll it on work. your own. You can do it on your own yeah. and people will pay for it. Yeah. And um, you know, so it, it, and they can actually do better on their own rather than maybe sometimes subsidizing 
the rest of the department. And you don't have to grind your way through that associate program and, you know, right. get years in before you're really having a voice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. but again, you're going to have to do that hard work on either side. Sure, um, sure. And I think, the, you know, I'm, but the, the industry has changed so much. There's a lot of great analysts on the sell side. There's a lot of great analysts on the buy side. And there's a lot of not so good analysts on the sell side <laughs> and a lot of not so good analysts on the buy side. So it's all been mixed up a little bit. And I think that's important. So for, you know, investors to try and navigate through the noise, so to speak. Yeah, I, I call it the thousands of voices in the wilderness, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. the 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 business of research, like you say, has gotten so fragmented and not in a bad way necessarily. Um, but it does create sort of a fire hose of voices going right. at um, advisors or investors or whomever, right? So what's your advice for, let's just focus on advisors because that's really who our audience is, but what's your advice for advisors in terms of um, handling that volume of that of those multiple voices? Like what do you, how would you screen for quality and um, what would you rate as sort of important elements of you know good solid research? Yeah, so I mean, I think you, what you were just saying before it's like a thousand voices. Um, you know, it's almost like a thousand voices singing a harmony because a lot of times all the voices are saying the same That's thing. That's tr- also very true. So, yeah. so you want to look for differentiated research. You know, uh, again, going back to the data-driven analysis that we that uh, we stress so much. Uh, but you want to look for unique ideas. Um, you know, when everyone's saying the same thing, look for, you know, something that's maybe off the beaten path a little bit. And for people who make reasoned arguments, uh, they're not trying to say sell clicks and, um, you know, you know, they're just making well-reasoned analysis or or compiling well-reasoned thoughts of other people together right. um, and, I, and aggregating it, so to speak. So I think uh, you want to do that and concise. Uh, again, getting back to the whole, you know, easily digestible format. We don't have a lot of time to go through all these voices, let alone read 40 re- page reports every morning by them. Uh, so if you can get a short, concise re- report uh, and not take up a lot of your time, picture says a thousand words. So if you can do it with a chart or a figure, it's better than, you know, writing several pages about it. Totally agree. Good. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit and we'll get into kind of maybe some fun stuff here uh-huh. before we wrap up. So um, you and I have both done our fair share of appearances on CNBC and other financial news networks. And you certainly a lot more than me. Golly. I, and now I'll tell you what, these days, every time I look up, I see your face on CNBC, which is great. And we're, we're really happy for you. Um, it's, it's been great to see your, your profile grow so much. Um, so you do a combination of what I guess would be like remote hits and in studio, right? Is right, that, right. Okay. Um, so most of our listeners probably have, you know, either CNBC or Bloomberg on their TV in their office most days. So can you tell, tell them a little bit what it's like to be on set at CNBC? Yeah. So on set, it's, it's, you know, it's definitely a lot more, I mean, you, you know, sometimes there's a remote hit and sometimes it's on set. So a remote hit is very strange because you're sitting in usually a dark room God, with, with a camera pointing it's like at a you. closet usually, <laughs> yeah, right? You're yeah. almost in a closet with a giant light in your face and right. a camera. It's cold. Yeah, it's, it's dark. Cold. <laughs> and, um, and you can't hear anything. Right. And you can't hear anything. And there's a monitor on, they'll show you a monitor, but it's usually on a three second delay. Or worse, so, like yeah, a 15 second right. delay. So yeah. it's useless. Uh, you don't to, want to see it. You can't have it. Yeah, you can't. And I, you always ask them to turn it off. Right. But it's so, it's hard to have a conversation with someone when you can't see them and uh, such. So when you're on set, it's um, it's a lot better. You can you know you can feed off the the anchors right. and, and the other guests on the panels. Um, but you know the you know every, everyone always t- criticizes uh, financial journalists uh, oftentimes on on the TV saying you know it's I could read off a teleprompter you know too. But mm-hmm. I mean during the breaks you know you 
they're rarely even talking to you because they're busy doing other segments, writing copy for the intros. Right. Uh, so it's it's a busy job that they, they're doing. So you, there's not a lot of conversation when the camera's not on, but when the camera's on, it's a, it's a much easier to have a conversation with the anchors and, and such. And I think when you're in person, it gives you a little bit more of an opportunity to um, to you know, flesh out your arguments rather than just give a, you know, a one or sent one sentence talking point. Yeah. So some of the different anchors allow you different uh, latitudes and how much you can talk and different programs. But uh, the more you can expound on your view, um, I think the better it is for the viewer. I agree. And yeah, you know, it's funny. My, so my, my favorite moment of, of being on TV um, altogether was, my first appearance on CNBC was Maria Bartiromo was still there. Oh, wow. So it was like my first one was almost her last one. <laughs> okay. And so we'll always have Maria Bartiromo, you know, which growing up in this business, you, you've, you know, she watched her for 20 years. Oh, yeah, years, on the floor know, of the stock exchange. Really cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was almost. Well, <laughs> well getting to, to funny stories. Yeah, uh, that's what yeah. I, I wanted to say. There's, I mean, there's so many. What, what I wanted to say first, though, was I think to your point, a lot of people don't understand that it, there's not a, a bank of analysts writing that copy for those folks, that they are genuinely intelligent people who are in, in the markets and know what's going on, and right. they're writing most of what they're reading. Right? Oh, yeah, definitely. So yeah. I, I just, yeah. you know, I think for anybody who's not clear on that, they're not just, you know, talking heads, for, for lack of a better way. No, 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 certainly not. Um, so, I mean, the first time I was ever on CNBC, I was so nervous. Um, <laughs> it's not fun. And, and uh, I was on a remote hit, so I didn't even, you know, you weren't getting any. But so I was talking about, uh, I forgot what the, the stock was. And like I made, I don't even remember what the joke was, but um, it was on the Aaron Burnett show or whatever. And she just burst out laughing <laughs> in the middle of the segment. It was the first time I was on. So they were like, you know, they were like, oh, this is great. This is great. So then they started, they were like, oh, come back on again. And I was like. I don't even remember what I said that was funny, <laughs> you know, but, but if it works, it works. No, right. Exactly. Yeah. Whatever but, gets you coming back. Is, right. But so then another time I was on, um, you know, a lot of times this was in 2008 too. So uh, there was always stuff going on. So you'd, sometimes you'd go up to the remote set and they would say, Oh, there's some breaking news. You have to hold on, you know, we're, we're, we're going to yeah. delay it a little bit. Yeah. So usually it was, you know, this bank going out of business or whatever. But um, one of the one of the times it was uh, the producer goes to me. She goes, "We have some breaking news, so we're going to be a little bit delayed, but um, you're going to want to stick around for this." And then um, I was like, "Okay, that's all she told me." But uh, mm-hmm. then as I'm hanging out, it was the Elliot Spitzer news when he was um, oh, wow. with client number nine yeah. and such. So it was uh, it was it was. It was, it was that was a tough uh, one, tough story to follow after that because they did put me on after that, and I was like, I don't even know where to where to go from there. <laughs> so, the, but you, the, yeah, you see some inter- you know, you, you see some interesting stories. No doubt, no doubt. The only the only time I think I was, I wasn't even it, uncomfortable is the wrong word, but um, I can't remember off the top of my head her name. But there's a there's a, a woman that's an anchor on Fox Business. Mm-hmm. Um, who does the closing show? She's a triathlete. I'm, Liz Clayman? Yeah, Liz Clayman. Yeah, but, okay. So <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on Liz's show, and you know they ask you for what stocks do you want to you know what stocks do you want to comment on, or, right. or whatever. And then they're going to fill in the the sort of daily events. So it's a little bit of a black box. You don't quite know what's going to happen. But <laughs> she, but halfway through the segment, she says, literally like this, and Rob. You own Snap. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, 
That's having a good year uh, yeah, this year. I, I didn't come here to apologize, Liz. <laughs> okay. And, and the stock, so all my friends, like, I mean, I got just absolutely abused for that for um, probably a month. But the stock, the stock then had like a 13% run, you know? Yeah. So it, it was more or less pure luck. But um, it was funny. I was like, wow, okay, she's just coming right at me. Well, so an uh, embarrassing story for me. Uh, CNBC, this was years ago, did a stock draft. I think they still do it. Yeah. Um, but so I was one of the contestants on it, and you picked one stock. And uh, that year I, I had picked JCPenney, which was uh, – <laughs> Didn't seem like so a good, good idea at the time. But they had me back on a year later because I was the loser. Right, right. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, so the, not all the recommendations go uh, according no, to plan. No, <laughs> and, and the good thing is, is no one's ever really around to be accountable for anything they say. <laughs> um, so let's talk about that for a second, though. Like in an, in an objective fashion, you, you sort of touched on this a few minutes ago, but what is your, what is your take on the quality of, let's just call it the recommendations that, or the market commentary that we see on TV versus what we read in print. And I guess my real question is, is does, does that necessity of filling all that time in the day, kind of a la 24-hour news cycle, but market-driven, does that help or hurt? Does it contribute to too much short-term focus or emotion? What, what are your thoughts on I that? I mean, I think a lot of it, um, a good amount of it is, yeah, is drive short-termism in the markets, yeah. which isn't a good thing. Um, but I, I think, you know, and it's, it's media. Media is meant to sell commercials and, and get so, ratings. So um, yeah. that's, you know, that's what they have to do. But there are, you know, different shows and different times of day and depending on the guests. Some, I mean, you, you see some very good guests on, um, you know, CNBC, Bloomberg and, and Fox Business. I mean, just this morning they had uh, Ron Barron on CNBC talking about Tesla, obviously, which has been a great pick of his. But not necessarily just talking about why he likes Tesla, but going through his process on why, you know, what made that an investment for him in 2014. Right. And as an investor, you can get a lot of insight into that, but you just have to f filter out what the noise is right. and just, you know, when they have a, a good, you know, someone with a good track record on and that person has an opportunity to speak and, and give their views in a, you know, in a longer fashion, um, you know, I think it really helps out investors. Yeah. I, but I there's so much other content areas you can get it too. Podcasts are, you know, have exploded and you can get good content there. And a lot of these media um, networks are expanding into the podcast too, because it's just another avenue for them. And it, you know, it's gained much more popularity. Right. Well, that's why we're sitting here. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so let me put you on the spot a little bit and in, in, in the realm of talent in, in our space, in the space and um, outside of yourself and your team, <laughs> Who do you listen to? Who Who's somebody that you find compelling uh, on that front? Well, so, I mean, I think I was talking before about putting research forward in a concise manner, um, easily digestible. Uh, I think Ed Hyman of ISI, now part of Evercore, uh, right. they do that, you know, better than just about anybody. Um, you know, charts, I mean, there's their weekly reports will probably have a few hundred words. Um, it's it's all loaded with charts that you can go through really quickly. ISI has been so good for so long. Yeah, and so they just have a you know they have a great track record and they've they've done it really well. Um, I think another um, 
another real valuable um, source is Lizanne Saunders um, from Schwab. She uh, she has a great Twitter feed. Um, she puts together, you know, she's always highlighting content from, you know, interesting content from other people. Um, so she does a great job there. And also she, you know, whenever you see these, uh, you know, times when the market's freaking out and she's on and, and they have her on one of the networks, she's always, you know, well keeled and, you know, isn't, you know, saying run for the hills right. or, 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 you know, you the know, world's ending. The, yeah, she's yeah. very, uh, you know, even keeled there. And I think she does a great job of, of, you know, highlighting good content from other people and also um, just, you know, just keep having well-reasoned analysis. Uh, oh. So those are two, um, uh, you know, uh, let's see. Um, um, uh, who else? Uh, David Rosenberg's been a, a bear yeah. for, for years. The perma bear. But um, he called the housing market really, really good um, in 2005. And, you know, just because you don't agree with someone doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to them. Oh, I totally agree. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll agree with things he says. Sometimes I don't agree with things he says. But just, uh, you know, it's good to get other viewpoints. And then another one, Richard Bernstein, who is another formal Merrill analyst. Yep. Um, he was bearish um, in 1999, 2000. I remember as a kid just out of college then, um, I was probably a lot more bullish than he was. And he was, you know, completely right. And um, he's gone on to build a successful firm, but he's got, you know, when it, when he's on CNBC, he's someone I'll usually turn, on, turn I, down the volume for. I agree. I agree. Um, okay. So this is not your typical sort of... <laughs> interview, right? You're, you're usually getting direct questions about the market. Usually the interview would have been over uh, 20, 20 minutes, minutes ago. ago. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I like that. That's, that's what, to me, that's what's so great about podcasts is that you can really do a more long format Definitely, yeah. and dig into things. And, and I think people are curious about you and your firm and, and your, you know, your, all of your success. So, but on that note, we couldn't let you go without talking markets briefly. <laughs> so let's just kind of keep it simple. Um, we're, we're in the second month of 2020. We've got a laundry list of things that are all, you know, as usual, that, that are, yeah. that are, you know, threatening, threatening the market, mm -hmm. we sh shall we say. Um, but that list is just an ever changing list of five things, right? So we never are in a time where we don't have that sort of stuff. So coronavirus, Iran, Iraq, all that stuff. Um, so, but having said all that, what, what is the, what is your view of the road ahead for 2020 election politics and, you know, influence and all that stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, heading into the year, our overall view was, you know, what we do every, you know, year and, and throughout the year is we just try and look at all the different aspects of the market that can, things that can impact the market uh, and come up with the pros and the cons and weigh them accordingly. And heading toward the end of last year, it was pretty evenly matched between pros and cons. And so when we say that to people, they'll say, oh, so you're looking for nothing in the market this year. Well, no, because if you have a pretty neutral stance, neutral for the market, when the market rises on average, usually high single six, digits, yeah, six, six seven, seven percent. percent yeah. So uh, we, we see there's nothing there to suggest that the market can't have at least an average year. And usually an if you do have a positive year, you usually end up seeing, you know, close to 10%. So you could, you know, our view right now is definitely on the more positive side of things, you know, seeing gains for the market overall. Um, as going to the election, elections, the pattern throughout those years historically is you tend to see volatility in the first half of the year as the candidates are shaking out, falling out of favor. And then uh, towards the second half of the year, things start to pick up in the market as, you know, the candidates are known, people just figure out, the market tends to figure out who's going to win. 
and then rallies on that. Uh, as far as the coronavirus is concerned, uh, you know, we look back at, uh, you know, there's a lot of different periods people have been pointing to over the last two weeks. But I think SARS in 2003 and the Ebola scare in 2014 are the, are the most similar. SARS because being it was focused in Asia and Ebola just because it scared the hell out of people. Right. Um, and I, I think, you know, SARS was coming out of 2003 when the market was coming out of, the, um, you know, you know, we had the Bernie Ebers, the WorldCom bankruptcy in Enron in 2001 and 2002, and the market was just starting to cut Gulf War II coming out. So the market was rallying anyway. So that's not the greatest comparison. So I think it's more of the Ebola. But both periods, the important thing is that when you look at the peak of the market from when the scares first came, um, during SARS, we dropped 15%. Uh, during Ebola, we dropped about 7.5%. But Within 80 trading days, the market was back at those new highs again. So there are short-term scares uh, for the market. And unless you're really trying to trade the markets, it's probably better just to sit back and, and, and wait. Yeah, just ride it. Because if, if, especially if you're in a taxable account trying to sell positions, yeah. implying taking the tax hit, it's, it's not worth it. Yeah. Well, good. All right. This has been fun. I think we, that's probably a good note to end on. Okay, we, perfect. My guest today has been Paul Hickey, co-founder of Bespoke Investment Research. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming aboard and, and sharing your thoughts with us. Good, right. to, good to hear the story, Paul. Okay, cool. Thanks for having me, Rob.